So the I mean, it was super cheap. Yeah. I mean, it was economical. I mean, they couldn't believe that some people, some young newlyweds, were asking to stay in the cemetery in the guest room in the attic. And and so I think it was like, you know, five pounds a night or something like yeah. that. And so like, are you sure you want to do this? And we're like, you know, it's an Adventist historic site. And uh, Michael. But now, yeah, I understand it's been converted into upscale. Michael, this now. is how every horror movie starts. Like two young people, <laughs> they go to Europe. They're like, we want to stay here near the cemetery. And they're like, are you sure? Oh, yeah, it's super cheap. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Kick us off, Michael. All right. Good. Three. <clears throat> Welcome to the Adventist Pilgrimage Podcast with your host, Michael Campbell. Greg is MIA, but he'll be joining us hopefully soon. And I have Matthew Lucio from their Adventist History Podcast Network. And uh, I'm excited today because we have a special guest, Matthew. Who do we have here? She looks vaguely familiar vaguely familiar i tell you i don't i can't imagine but but i think um someone very special and uh is an incredible historian and uh has something very special we're going to find out that is about to be released this month with women's history month and that is none other than heidi olson campbell oh it's your wife fantastic <laughs> Absolutely. And so I just am so excited because um, she is a passionate historian, a very good thinker. And of course, I'm not no, biased no, at all. Not but, at all. but uh, uh, And she's also in the middle of finishing up a PhD in early modern history. Welcome, Heidi. Tell us what early modern history is, because some people have no <laughs> idea. Well, and, and it's a debated term, like all terms in history, right? Um, because there's like, is there a clear delineation between late medieval, early modern? Because, of course, people didn't wake up one day and say, okay, now it's the modern yeah. period. Um, but it's uh, the period of time around 1500 to about 1800 is generally considered the early modern period, though I delve all the way into late medieval. So it's a slippery area between the two terms, periods ah, of time. So but, as we start developing into a lot of the structures, and ideas of this of that developed the modern period right now so basically when martin luther was born it became the modern era yes of course that's how it works yeah. now <laughs> well done martin but yes yes well you know it was a little bit before after actually martin luther was born and martin luther is definitely like a product of the late medieval period in many ways but um probably uh better starting point would be thinking more of like the discovery of the continents of America, right? Because that's really the, what um, does a lot of impact in changing the view of the world. Uh, you're, see, that, that makes a lot of sense, but you're ruining my clear delineation. Like you could say the, the modern era began with Martin Luther, maybe postmodern era coincides with Martin Luther King. Okay, I can like see 1960s. that. Like uh, 1960s. Anyways, I'm just saying it it, it makes for a, kind of a popular <laughs> retail, uh, categorization. May not be strictly factual, but, you know, I'm a podcaster, it, so when does it ever stop me? <laughs> it's a way of, of thinking about the parameters yes. anyways. But yeah. Yes. Reminds me of George Knight. He used to always talk about KISS. Keep it simple. And then there was the extra S that he kind of hesitated, and then he'd say stupid. Yes, yes. 
Keep it simple. I, I'm sure he wasn't looking at me, you know, but anyway. <laughs> well, Heidi, I am very happy to have you on board here. Now, we usually, I, I say we, this isn't my podcast, but I'm not used to seeing a lot of early okay. modern historians on Avenus Pilgrimage. So you must be doing something in relation to Avenus history. Well, as with many historians that are also Seventh-day Adventists, um, we like to dip our feet into the other the Adventist history as well and are interested in it. And really my interest in Adventist history is part of what inspired me to go into studying history to begin with. And then as well, obviously, um, like I took classes in a variety of different uh, areas and periods of time. And so amongst those, I have done some stuff on modern Chinese history. And because of that, I did some research on Adventist missionary women and Bible workers, the Chinese Bible workers, which were predominantly women. And so that has led into my interest in doing stuff on Adventist women. And didn't they have like a term for that, like Bible women and stuff? Yeah. Bible women were often what they were. That was not an Adventist term or a uniquely <laughs> Adventist term as much as we'd like to claim it, maybe. Um, but Bible women actually predate Adventist involvement in missions um, other groups also used women in India and China, particularly, to go and minister to other women because they recognized that a lot of those cultures were not really accepting of men going in and ministering to women at home. Ah, interesting, interesting. Okay, that makes sense. I see how you you've gotten your foot in the door here with Adventist history, and uh, but you're you're also doing a podcast. Is it, is it about these Bible women or is it about something else? Well, it started out because of the interest in Bible women. Um, unfortunately, I don't speak Chinese, so I, I have to use English resources. And because of that, I have started looking into a lot of stories of Adventist women missionaries, particularly. Um, but the podcast is not just about Adventist women missionaries. It's called They Also Serve. And it's looking at the roles that women played and the many, many roles that women played in um, Avenus history and in the development and creation of the church that we know today. So drum roll, uh, they also served <laughs> yes. new Avenus history podcast. This is amazing. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Where did that title come from? Ah, it's a great question because I actually have the book with me. Not that, I mean, it's a podcast. So no, no, really we have video the- too. But, all right, I will hold it up and show it there to you guys. There we go. Um, it's a book by a woman named Ava Covington. Covington is her unmarried name. And I actually did a lot of research to find out who Ava Covington was, because as far as I knew, nobody had done research on her. But anyways, um, They Also Served is a book by a woman in the early half of the 20th century who wrote in her introduction that she was writing the book because the stories of women were being lost and that people didn't know the roles of women in the Adventist church. And so she was trying to record them before those women's stories got lost completely. Um, she does mention Ellen White as one of the people, and she one of her chapters is on Ellen White. But she also highlights other women, and there are many, many roles in the church, including people like Nellie Droulard, who was a big fundraiser, the first single woman who went as a missionary to Europe, and things like that. And I'm talking about Maud Cicely Boyd, not, um, not Jane Andrews' daughter. Okay. Okay. Well, welcome to the the Adventist History podcasting family. Now, I know you're not part of the Adventist History Project. You're doing this through the Adventist Learning Community, right? But you're still part of our family. And I, Michael knows, Greg knows. I think I have been wanting to get 
a female podcast host in the Avenus history realm for a long time. And I am very excited that you are the one who has stepped into this and hopefully only the first of many to come. But you are you are making history while reporting on history. Yes. And, and that was one of the fun things uh, about doing putting together podcasts, because uh, one of the people we interviewed was Ella Simmons, who, as I say in my introduction of her, is actually like a fur. So she is history and is still alive. So, um, so that is kind of cool to <laughs> be able to meet people who actually are making history themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so this is a podcast you're going to be telling Avenus women's stories uh ella is one of them and what are some of the other people you're going to be talking about a group on the north american division that's really sponsoring it and looking at it and as north american based people mostly that i'm interviewing but we are trying to highlight women from around the world a little bit or at least mention their stories or how women were impacting other parts of the globe so we will talk about petra Thunheim. we're going to talk about who actually went from europe all the way to java and china so she was very active all the way around the world. Um, we'll be talking about um, Anna Knight, who was a missionary to India, amongst other things, and her story. So we're going to be trying to talk about, and we'll talk about some women in South America, uh, Millerite women. Anyways, a lot of different women from different time periods who did things like editing and writing and education and medical work. All right. But the question is, why? I mean, I, I would imagine most most listeners or watcher viewers are are probably in the boat uh, that uh, that they'd never heard of some of these people. Maybe most of these people you've mentioned. And so, why why tell women's stories? Like, you know, don't we have all these Avenus history books, and and uh, don't we basically understand Avenus history enough? Why do we need these other stories? What do they add to Avenus history? I'm just playing devil's advocate here. <laughs> no, absolutely. And that is a question. And that's kind of what we tackle in our first episode is talking about why study women's history. And it is a great question because people do say, you know, we've already we have history books already written. We know the basic course of history. So why do we need to know women's stories? Well, first of all, um, to loosely quote uh, Mao Zedong, um, <laughs> women hold up half the sky yeah. uh, is a famous quote. And when we tell half the story, when we just tell, focus on men's stories, we're only telling half the story. Um, we're missing out on how things shaped up. When we look at the Adventist church, I believe recent statistics that came out from um, Adventist archives, statistics and research, 59% of the church is, they're approximating, I mean, the numbers or the statistics are hard to come by exactly, are women. Right. So if we don't tell their stories or look at that 59%, we're getting a very incomplete picture of how the past of the church and even the future of the church. And when we don't represent um, both sides of the story or all sides of the story, um, we also are telling people that there oftentimes it can be, a, it can end up omitting and making people feel like they're not as important mm. to the role of the formation of the church so it actually impacts our future it has the potential to impact our future if we don't tell those stories because representation helps us see what we can become yeah. and why we need to participate in something it's crazy to me that 60 percent of the church can be female and 
we know so few female stories in Adventist history. I mean, how how alienating that must that must feel at times to just be the majority, to be the ones who are holding up the local church as as uh, as women often are, and and then to hear stories of other people. <laughs> yeah. So it's an important ask. I think it's a huge gap, a huge missing piece of our story. We have a handful of women that we mention in Adventist history classes, like Ellen White predominantly, and sometimes Annie, Annie Smith, or um, boy, my brain, brain is suddenly going blank. Oh, Rachel Oaks Preston. Mm -hmm. um, there's those handful of women, but there's so many more stories um, as will be revealed and I especially find fascinating how many single women were really active as missionaries. Mm. Um, and those stories are almost completely absent in our narrative. And I think that's partly because if they were single, <clears throat> there was nobody to tell their story, right? Or, I mean, th this is some of the reason why some of these stories have, haven't been told, right? Well, I mean, at least in part. Yeah, there's a lot of reasons these stories haven't been told, partially because a lot of times those women are not in the top leadership positions. And we're really good at telling the top leadership positions um, because we've done a lot of institutional <laughs> history. Right. And so we're looking at the institutions. So we look at the top people, the people who are really visible, very vocal. And so the stories of women tend to drop out in that because women are often working behind the scenes. Um doing activities and oftentimes they're not promoting themselves so married women tended to promote their husband's careers in what they were writing or saying and so those stories often um and usually often were what they would have even considered like a supporting role and i may talk a little bit about minnie chrysler here and how she played a supporting role in promoting her husband's view her husband's legacy, but not promoting her own. Mm. Um, and then the single women, oftentimes, unless they wrote down their own story. Now we have a few exceptions, like Annie, Anna and Knight, rather. She actually wrote her own like autobiography. And because she lived a really long time, that also helped retain her memory because a lot of people really appreciated her services and like kept her story alive. Um, but yes, for many single women, that meant when they died, if they didn't write down their story, that nobody kept telling their story and they disappeared. Hmm. Um, Talk about disappearing stories. So Anna Knight, but you found a story connected to Anna Knight recently, right? Of a, a woman who kind of was well, disappeared. Me about her, and I won't even remember her name right off the top of my head. I was just working on that last night, actually. Oh, Edith Embry. She wasn't a single woman, though. She did get married. Um, but Edith Embry was the woman who actually helped convert her to Adventism. Mm. And I've seen it, her name mentioned in a lot of um, like biographies of Anna Knight. But Edith Embry, um, does, there's no more discussion of who she was or um, what she did after talking to Anna Knight. And so I decided to do some digging last night to find out who she was. And Edith actually uh, worked for Pacific Press and Signs of the Time and did apparently do this a lot. She would communicate with people who would write in, send Bible studies out to them and um, work with them anyways uh, through the Bible studies to help convert them to Adventism. And later on, she gets married to a guy. And that's that's also one of the reasons that we lose a lot of the people's names or the women's identities or their roles like 
same thing with Ava Covington. Mm-hmm. I didn't know anybody who really knew who she was. Part of it is because in when she was in her late 30s, early 40s, she got married to a guy named Wall and actually came to the D.C. area. Her husband worked for what is now Washington Avenue University and was um, essentially like the dean of the Art School of Arts and Sciences. And um, so her, and she never had children of her own. So she raised his two, her two stepchildren because he had been married before, but she had no kids of her own. And so her name, her story has just kind of disappeared too. Mm. Um, and, and Edith anyways gets married. She becomes a nurse. She works um, as a nurse and she works as a, she's clearly is still an active Bible worker and call porter in her later years. Um, but nobody's, nobody's investigated her story. Hold on. Did you guys go find her grave though? If she was in the DC area? Ava? Yes. No, she didn't actually get buried in the DC oh. area um, because she ended up moving out after her husband. I'm just saying, it sounds like a great, like, I don't know, 20th, 25th, what, however long you guys have been married anniversary <laughs> idea. Well, we did like, what was it? Two years ago, a year ago when we were at PUC in California, um, we went around the graves in Healdsburg and looked for early missionaries. Some of the people that I that I will talk about in the podcast or have written. All right. About. Well, that was, that was a great anniversary yeah. trip. What are yeah. you talking about? Uh, you know what no <laughs> one says. Nobody parties like an Avenus historian. <laughs> uh, yeah, Those parties are on fire. Anyways. Uh, this, for anyone listening, that's that's it got started on our honeymoon. But anyways, we'll just leave it at yeah. that. Uh, we all did dates at, at cemeteries. <laughs> this this does not get better. Like the more you find <laughs> out, friends, the more questions you have. That's all I'm gonna say. Somebody needs to do an encyclopedia article on you two. <laughs> <laughs> have mercy, have mercy. But it, it's not like we went to like a retirement home or anything on our on our honeymoon. You know. Yeah. Absolutely did. That is just astounding to me. But speaking of the encyclopedia, Heidi, you wrote some uh, articles on Avenus women in the encyclopedia, right? That's it. Yes, on four women. Well, four women and a man. So one was a couple, one and then three, uh, three women. So they were all missionaries to China. And all of them were super exciting lives, at least to me, because most of them actually were there during World War II. <laughs> Not the time that you want to be in China, by the way, just in case you were wondering. <laughs> Spoiler alert for those of you with the time machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, think, think concentration yeah, camp. A... <laughs> oh. Well, for some of them, they had to flee or they got captured. <laughs> yes. Well, the one exception was Celia Bryans, who actually, her husband went and was a doctor in the United States. And they actually, they weren't there. She didn't get stuck in a concentration camp. But Olga Oss did. So should I tell Olga Oss's story? Yeah, let's hear it. I know Michael loves John Oss because he was into publishing Uh, and traveled all the way to Inner Mongolia. So he was like quite the traveler. And the interesting part is when you read these stories of men that were missionaries, you see all the places they went and stuff and all the positions that they held. But then you start wondering to yourself, there was a church in whatever town they were supposed to be centrally located in. um, And they often had some kind of position that they held. So what happened to that local church where they were when they were off traveling to inner Mongolia and Tibet and stuff like that? Well, 
my contention is, that actually their wives held down mm. the board, basically. Mm. Um, and often kind of held on to their positions, took over their positions um, while they were gone just to try to keep things going. Um, so Olga Oz has a great story. And she wrote, she was a writer. Most of these women were writers, which is part of the reason that I was able to find their stories and uncover them. Um, Olga Oz wrote a whole book on her experience in China. And she, she starts out by telling how she got really sick when she was, um, when her, she had just arrived. She actually had lost a child in the United States shortly before mm. her husband was called as a missionary. Um, and so she, like a nine month old, it was the only child they ever had. And so she really didn't want to go as a missionary to China, but her husband and John was excited and said, let's go to China. So she went to China with him and she was not happy. And then he left her to go traveling and do his work and a town. And she didn't speak Chinese at this point very well, knew a handful of words. She had a Chinese employee that was helping her out and she had met the women at the church and that was about it. And she was all by herself and she gets really, really sick, passes out. The Chinese employee thinks she's dead. <laughs> And calls the embassy because they're like, oh, no, we have a dead foreigner in their apartment. And the nice little the embassy sends off somebody to check on this foreign American woman. It's not even the American embassy that sends somebody Wait, to check on Which her. embassy is it? Oh, yeah, I knew you'd ask that. I think it's like the German <laughs> embassy. Or what? Is and this like the 1930s? Is this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they're like oh she's alive no worries and so they take her to the presbyterian hospital where she has been stuck for like a week and she is deeply moved by the fact that the the chinese people who she doesn't even speak chinese but the chinese adventists come and they pray outside her hospital bed why she's sick and because of that experience she realizes i need to be a better missionary and these people kind to me yeah so this is like this is par her. pardon me just from my what my experience with women like that is like the most that is the most female response ever like all this stuff happens to me i need to try harder clearly that's the lesson here like yeah. not that maybe my position have like left me yes right right and, ah. yes so she really does try harder so she decides oh yeah my husband was supposed to sell all these books because this is the call portering heyday, right? And in gathering heyday. And my husband in books. Yeah, my husband was supposed to raise money for all these projects and he's not doing it. So I will go and do it myself. And then she feels bad about like asking Chinese people as a foreigner for money. So she says, I will not ask Chinese for money. I will ask only foreigners for money. So she goes around to American and German and French and whatever businesses and knocks on their doors and asks them for money and sells books. So great task. The Chinese women see her doing this and like raising money and they're like, hey, we could help you out. You know, let's teach us how to do it, too. And so they go. So she tr starts training a little group of women in Manchuria. She's uh -huh. up in the north part of China. Um, and it just kind of spreads. And then accidentally, one day she knocks on a door of a business that she thinks was run by a foreigner. And it's really by a Chinese person. And the Chinese person kind of gets ticked off at her when she says, I'm not going, you know, I, oh, I didn't mean to like ask you for money. And they're like, well, why not? I can help. So it's, she ends up becoming a great fundraiser and trainer of other women on how to do call portering and in gathering. And 
really starts training a bunch of Bible workers in Manchuria, women Bible workers specifically. Um, later gets moved, her husband gets transferred down to Shanghai. She goes down to Shanghai and she gets really involved in raising funds for hospitals and for the Red Cross. Um, because she has no kids, she stays during a lot of war-torn periods. We have the where Shanghai gets shot up by the Japanese during um, the Sino Second Sino-Japanese War. Um, and she writes an account of the horror of actually having like Adventist and at whole Adventist family gets killed. It's really sad and tragic. Um, and like finding the husband and trying to like comfort him and stuff like that, because he was the only one that survived of his family. And, um, and, and then when she goes back to the U S um, since she gets evacuated from Shanghai that time, um, she goes around and asks money for does public speaking events, big public speaking events that are advertised in, like, I'm trying to remember, I think it's Los Angeles Times. There's actually an advertisement about how she's going to speak about oh, yeah. this experience in China. Yeah. Um, so she's, yes, quite the fundraiser, apparently quite the fu the public speaker since they're putting her out there to do this. Um, and, but she goes back to China. She's like, okay, well, the, like, the Japanese have now taken over Shanghai. It's probably safe to go oh. back. And so she goes back and ends up... Um, they stay there, and then, of course, the Pearl Harbor is about ready to happen. Things are starting to tense up. She knows things are starting to tense up, but she and her husband decide to stay there. They don't have kids, so they send the other missionary women. She's one of the few missionary women that stays, um, and they send the ones with children out to the Philippines, which is another story and not a good idea in the end. Yeah. Um, and she and her husband get eventually there's gradually restrictions that occur after Pearl Harbor. Um, but they eventually get stuck in a concentration mm. camp. Her husband gets super sick. He gets taken off because he's so sick. They think he's going to die and they stick him in a hospital and he, um, actually just disappears. She thinks he's dead for like a wow. year or two. Um, and she doesn't find him till after the end of the war. Apparently some Chinese, um, church members find him and at, in the hospital because you have to provide your own food. Well, he has nobody. He's yeah. his wife's in a concentration camp. So the Chinese um, Adventists feed him all during the war and take care of him anyways. I so. see. Wow. But she, she comes back after she goes back to the U S recovers from world war two and from all the weight that she lost and the dysentery she had and all of that stuff comes back to China serves until they get kicked out again by the communists this time. And then her husband dies of a heart attack in California shortly thereafter. But um, quite the woman. <laughs> no kidding. And, and lots of financially build up and establish the hospitals that we often attribute to people like Harry Miller. Um, in fact, yeah, she basically persuades a warlord in the north to donate property and money to build a hospital. By the way, I don't know if we can do this, but uh, they've recently found the recordings uh, and preserved and digitized them from the 1946 GC session. And there's a short little clip of Olga Oss telling their story, just an absolute firecracker. Yeah. So I don't know it's, it, it, if, if there's a way that we can, can share that, but it's, it's amazing. All right. Well, let's share it. We've asked Sister John Oss to give us briefly experiences in the internment camp in Shanghai. The Japanese placed 18 barbed wires around the fence, around the campus. They tried to exclude all outside contact with the world. 
They succeeded very well in doing this, but still they gave us seven feet by nine feet in which to live for each couple. And in these seven by nine feet, we found a wonderful place in which to commune with God. Uh, that's a fascinating story, though. Yes, and I, I think it actually shows a lot of the people that are actually building up the church, like Olga and all the women, Bible women that she worked with were clearly doing a lot to actually convert, evangelize, build the hospitals, build the educational institutions. She's actually such a good fundraiser that um, they request her to go to the Philippines to train people to when they're starting to build Manila Hospital, what is still a Manila Hospital actually today. Um, they have her go over and train people to raise funds to build that hospital. Anyway, so that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, so after telling me all of that, you know, my first thought is, yeah, let's not tell her story. Let's tell, let's tell her husband's story. That's the that's the exciting one. There's nothing exciting in what she did. I mean, come on. <laughs> John did a lot of stuff, too, sure. but it's telling half the story when we miss her exactly. story. Yeah, well said. Have you learned anything in studying these stories of Adventist women that has surprised you? Wow. Well, I didn't realize how many, back to the single women, I didn't realize how many single women we had that were going as missionaries. We often talk about married couples or husbands, but we don't really talk about these single women. And there were a lot of them. And they, in fact, as many as a, sometimes as many as a third or more of the missionaries in China specifically um, were single women. So I want to pause for a second, because like Boston University, I think there's some research on this, that of the different groups, like you know, there were single men, single women, married couples, whatever. Um, the single women is the single largest group of all those dim- different groupings, I believe. Isn't that right? Um, no, though the argument is that there were more women as missionaries than men. Overall. Overall, mm-hmm. yes, because they would send single women out, but they would rarely, rarely see send single men out. And that's true across denominations, not just Adventist. Um so oftentimes they would encourage men if they wanted to go as missionaries to get married really quick before yes, they went. Really quick indeed. It's like find your find your girlfriend in college and well, I was gonna say put a ring on it. Don't put a ring on it. <laughs> Just get married. Well, watch the watch. Put a watch on it. There were some women that decided that really wanted to go as missionaries and were willing to marry whoever it was that needed to, <laughs> that they needed to marry so they could, could go as missionaries, which is a weird way of picking a spouse. I don't think it's recommended, but, but is it um, weirder than going to a cemetery on your honeymoon? Well, Oh, the stories we have yeah. yet to tell in Avenue's right. history. But- the cemeteries are at least just, you know, like a temporary thing. That's true. That's say. true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a great contemplation. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's restful. Totally normal. <laughs> we, we all do it. Could have gone to Dubai, Hawaii. Anyways. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we really search hard for that Joseph Wolf that's... site, though. <laughs> Anybody that's listening, okay. I, I, I'll never live this down, but we did visit Joseph Wolf's house and church and of course the cemetery yeah and we did stay in the albury park estate and in the retirement home so my confession it's fully out there um that the, i the, these are my my the the 
Confessions of an Adventist Historian. Yes, and the people in the little town were so lovely as we were looking, and they also thought we were completely insane. Yeah, yeah they were like, are you sure you want to go here on your honeymoon? <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is that is how every horror movie starts, guys. <laughs> but, hey, I'm glad you're alive. It obviously worked out just fine. You guys are both doing Adventist history at a high level, and, and I'm literally looking forward to your podcast, Heidi. It's uh, it's coming out soon, I hope. Yes, the first episode I believe will drop on March fifteenth. That is the the Ides, the Ides of March. Are we to beware them? (laughs) Hopefully not. No. (laughs) Women's history. Women's history month. That's right. That's right. And also a Friday, which makes it a great day to drop because then to start the podcast because then people can listen to it over the weekend. Yes, when they're out. I don't know, mowing their lawn. Or yes, something. yes. So where do they find this Adventist, uh, his new new podcast, They Also Serve? Where do they find it, Heidi? Um, So they find it on Spotify or on the Apple Podcast app or wherever you find podcasts. And we can drop oh. a link in the show notes, right, Matt? Well, yeah, when it comes out, we can drop a link in here. And of course, on our Adventist History Project uh, social media, we'll be, we'll be sharing the link too when it comes out. But March 15th, the first episode of They Also Served will be dropping. I hope you are as excited as we are because you guys are about to start hearing the other half of Adventist History. So I can't wait. How many episodes are there going to be, Heidi? Are we going on like 10 seasons or what? <laughs> well, I I understand you have two seasons only, but you have a lot of episodes in yes. your two seasons. Pack yes. it in. Um, no, we're just starting out with one season of twelve episodes. So all right, twelve equals twelve episodes, right? It's very appropriate. Yeah, yeah. You also are putting a lot of work into it, unlike me, because you're interviewing people and like putting their answers into the episode. You know, giving it the full NPR treatment here. We we are we're yeah so we'll, we'll see how it goes no but your episodes I I still love your episode on World War Two where you talk about the woman right before World War Two the German woman who went around oh hold the Yost yeah she that is that is a trip of a it story. is and of course Michael and I have, we went and go find that Denver Post article when we were in Denver yeah actually in the archives in Denver I mean what do you do for fun in Denver. Some people go skiing. Matthew and I, we okay. go diving. So who guys. am I to judge? Who am I to judge? <laughs> I don't know. Hey, Laura, if you're listening, I can't wait to hear where you guys go on your next anniversary. <laughs> oh, Laura. Laura, oh, if you're listening, I, I just want you to we – can, we can go to anywhere you want to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, cemeteries can be very interesting oh, definitely. places to go. Um, and – I actually, on my own, when I went on a research trip to England, went to some churches because I was looking for the monuments of um, to women and men, anyways, in the late medieval, early modern period of how they were portraying their dead relatives, which is also very fascinating. So, um, unfortunately, I guess we probably will still go to cemeteries. No, it's a perfectly acceptable place to do research and history. I think the it's just the honeymoon part that that i'm a little hung up on but uh yeah but hey it's like a working it's like a working vacation here we're doing research on the go uh but yeah yeah Yeah. no cemeteries are really fascinating places to go to to figure things out and uh i am going to be looking forward to the ides of march 
Caesar is gone, but uh, they also served is here. Yes. And yeah, so do listen and yes, the they also serve comes from the title. So it does from Ava Covington's title. So it doesn't mean that women I should probably put we also serve because Ooh. Oh, but yes, I know. I should change the title, but or she also served or something. I don't know. Oh. I, I like I, you know, it. my my, well. my impression is that Ava Covington meant it kind of sincerely, whereas I feel like there's a little bit of like tongue in cheek, like, hey, they 60% of the church, you know, they were also there, you know, kind of like, duh. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just pointing out to also that the stories the aren't obvious. told. The, the obvious lack, the obvious, and, and when you really think about it, um, women often are the educators, especially yep. today, still even, that women are often the educators. And when do people make a lot of their formation of their character, their personality? their theological views is in their childhood, not in their adulthood as much. And so um, when we don't tell their stories and we don't think about their theology and what they're thinking um, as they're ministering or teaching children, we kind of miss out on who we are and what we become. I don't want to give your away your first episode or, or whatever, but, but, it, not only that, but the Matthew used the word other. There's this othering yeah. kind of thing, right? And not only do we not tell the other, you know, an incomplete history, right? I mean, the, the majority has, has been women. It's an incomplete history. But it also, the way we tell those stories sends a message to the new generation and young women and, and what that message is that we want to share with them. Are they valued? Are they a part of that story or not? Yes, absolutely. And that's that's... I can understand that goal here is like we I hope I have two daughters and I hope they listen to your podcast someday and realize there are people like me who made a difference in Adventist history and I can make a difference, too. And uh, if if that's what comes out of this, at least as far as my girls are concerned, I will be over the moon. And I'm sure there's many more young women out there, girls who are out there who are going to hear this and hopefully hopefully see themselves in in some of these stories and realize what's possible for them. Yeah, it'll be a win if that's the, if your daughters are inspired. Right. By well, they'll it, definitely so. be listening. And to quote another uh, eminent Adventist historian, Kevin Burton, <laughs> I love women. <laughs> if you don't know the story behind that, you got to listen to one of our previous yes. episodes of the Baptists. And uh, I'm I'm so glad I'm so glad that we have have you on record for that, Matthew. Oh, that that quote will never <laughs> go away. Ah, Kevin Burton is in our episode too, and he has some great stories. So, um. yes. Oh man. Well, it's been a, a fun time just uh, talking with you, Heidi. I'm so excited and thrilled. I know you've been working really hard on this. I mean, you've put dozens, probably hundreds of hours, uh, along with a whole team that have been working with you on this. So, this is a, a great new resource. So, they also served. Uh, you've been listening uh, to the Adventist Pilgrimage podcast as we've been interviewing Heidi Olson Campbell. And uh, watch for this episode to drop March 15, wherever you listen to uh, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening and joining us. And join us every month as we delve deeper into our Adventist past. And Jesus Himself said that He did not come to do away with the law. Take us
out of this world if he does not want us to be contaminated by it. 